today, this is a topic I think that is on the minds of a lot of um, kids media professionals. Um, the last 12 months have been to understate the term challenging uh, from a social and political perspective. Uh, from the Brexit referendum last June to the results of the US election in November, to the almost daily reports of mass acts of violence and expressions of racism, um, we're living in pretty tumultuous times and it's, it's helping to create what we think is a generation of anxious kids who aren't quite sure what to think or who to turn to. Um, arguably, research, uh, arguably uh, kids' media creators have never been in a better position to help, but where to start? So today, uh, we have the research expertise of Betsy Bostech from, I probably, it's just like did okay. I? Bosdeck. Bosdeck, see, I messed that <laughs> up. Uh, from Common Sense Media, uh, John Mason and Lucy Atkinson, who are at the end of the table, uh, and their experience in designing socially enriching digital applications for tweens. Uh, David Hallam's learnings on making an interfaith series for preschoolers and Allison Stewart's experience in building a multi-broadcaster coalition that's aiming to make socially conscious content for kids around the globe uh, will be on hand to dig in and answering these questions. Um, so uh, before we get to the making of the content, I would like to ask uh, Betsy to give us a better understanding of what parents and kids are looking for when it comes to content that promotes kindness, diversity, inclusiveness, and resilience. Um, so Betsy, are you seeing a demand for this type of content from parents? Uh, definitely. Uh, we did a survey of more than 3,000 parents that showed that they are extremely concerned that their kids learn social-emotional skills, including character strengths, both at home and at school. Uh, when we asked them what their top concerns were for their kids' education, social and emotional learning was uh, chosen as number one by a two-to-one margin. Uh, over homework support and supporting a child with a learning difference. And then later we did some user studies and we found that even after one-time exposure to our character strengths and life skills content, they were learning to more proactively curate media and to focus on the quality and the content choice rather than just time limits. Uh, we had a great quote that said, I told you in the beginning that I wouldn't choose programming based on this list of character strengths, but in retrospect, I realized that I gave you that response because that would mean I would have to re go research something. And when I saw your tool, my eyes were like, wow, yeah, I want gratitude lessons too. <laughs> so so uh, I, you've obviously talked about, is, is there other stuff that they're looking for in particular? Well, yeah, well, so we, um, we asked, in that same survey I mentioned, um, they're looking for uh, social and emotional growth as a key concern. And then another, well, that was 705 parents hit that, and 555 selected social, emotional learning and technology as an area of interest. And then we, on our site, we have a list of, well, of a curated list of 11 key character strengths. I always see if I can do it from memory, but I, I'm going to read. Um, communication, compassion, courage, curiosity, empathy, gratitude, humility, integrity, perseverance, self-control, and teamwork, knowing that each one of those wraps in other sub-things or other similar terms. Um, and the ones that they said were most important for them to teach their children were integrity, communication, and gratitude. What's interesting, though, is those of all the, um, when the TV shows that we have tagged for those 11 character strengths, those aren't the ones that come up the most frequently. What we hit most are teamwork, curiosity, and perseverance. Um, and that's partly because integrity, communication, and gratitude are trickier to embed than some of these other things. So just as for the creators in the audience, it could be interesting to experiment with how to surface some of the ones that parents are really looking for. Okay, great. And um, 
are there shows that are uh, doing this well right now, um, and how are they getting ri it right? Yes, and um, I think we've got you've got an example. To yes, I have one clip. I'll get to in just a sec. But I think there are definitely um, shows out there that are doing a wonderful job of this, um, particularly in the preschool and younger kid age segment. Um, they keep the messages simple, and they show kids relatable characters. We all know how important it is for kids to see me on the screen, and that helps convey character strengths in a really age-appropriate way. Some of our favorites for little kids are Goldie and Bear, Wish and Poof, Peg Plus Cat, Nina's World, and Doc McStuffins. Let's wake him up. Oh, I can't wait. Hi, Stanley. Am I okay? Better than okay. My arm. He's working like new, but we found something else when we were fixing you. Is that my heart? It is, and you were right. It was broken. That's what happens when we lose someone we love. My diagnosis is left behinditis. Oh, Stanley, that's so sad. Don't worry, we fixed it. And I'm pretty sure the fix is going to hold because we found the reason you got this broken heart in the first place. We found this on your back. It's from your kid. He loved you so much, and he was looking for you. I can't believe it! It's true. And we found it. Really? <laughs> what was that? My happy laugh! Okay. So, and then um, there aren't quite as many as we get older, but one, there's a recent addition, another Disney uh, show, Milo Murphy's Law, is really good for kids who are starting to get a little bit older, like seven and eight. And um, same with Amazon's, uh, Gordon R. Gibbons' Life on Normal Street. That's one of our favorites for tweens. Um, and then for, the, for younger tweens. And then for true tweens, like 10 and up, uh, there's Andy Mack is looking like a step in the right direction. They're really looking at communication and empathy for uh, older kids. And then, um, of course, thanks to streaming services, families can really access, can still access evergreen shows, like one of our favorites, Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, really? Had, yeah. So what is it about that show in particular, you think? Well, let me tell you. We have, okay. This is a wonderful. <laughs> uh, this, was, this is another one of my favorite user comments from someone who's an educator and a parent. She said, I couldn't agree more with your suggestion of Star Trek The Next Generation. We've started watching an episode almost every evening with my 7 and 11-year-old boys. And each episode gives us so much to talk about. Concepts of loyalty, fairness, prejudice, stereotypes, faith, friendship, and what it means to be human. human All the things we want to talk about with our children. So, okay. so where do you think that, you know, shows and creators are falling short? And why do you think that is? Um, I think it's in the older age groups. I mean, I think we all know that it's... The older kids get, the harder it is to find the content that really is successful. And so you're saying Pretty Little Liars is not... <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> that's not to be said that there aren't character strengths to be found and stuff for older kids. In fact, we've, um, we've even managed to find something in The Simpsons. I think we tagged that one for self-control. <laughs> um, but I think that, uh, as I think it was David Kleeman who said yesterday in one of his sessions, that tweens and teens have a quick, unerring bullshit detector. And I think that's very true. And so... It's really hard as kids get older to find stuff that not only has these character strengths, but doesn't active, actively send problematic messages or tell a story in a way that kids are just gonna roll their eyes at. I mean, the idea is to really find a successful, engaging, relatable narrative rather than preach at them. It's a lot mm -hmm. easier with the preschool set to just sort of, here's a cute lesson and we're gonna teach it with a song. I mean, not to do it right, of course, isn't easy. Right. It's still a hard challenge. But you but can't be that didactic with a teenager. No. They just like yeah, they're gonna scoff at you and walk into the room. Pretty much, yeah. So it's looking for sort of the more hidden, subtle things and then hopefully finding ways to do it in a way that is more obvious but not eye-rolling. 
Yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, as you just heard from Betsy, some of the best examples are current uh, of this type of programming is currently uh, in the preschool area. And in the UK, CBeebies is making a concerted, concerted effort in that area. So, Alison, can you tell us a bit about CBeebies Everyone's Welcome campaign and what do you think is the most important thing about making this kind of content resonate with preschoolers? And uh, I think you'll tell us how David's project, Treasure Champs, sort of fits into this whole thing. Okay. Yep. Um, so, um, it's not new. Diversity has always been at the heart of everything we do on CBeebies and for the very obvious reason that children and their families need to see themselves reflected on the screen and in the content they use. Um, and that's what we've always tried to do. So this year, um, CBeebies has launched the Everyone's Welcome campaign. Um, those of you who were at the opening keynote session will have seen the, um, the trail played out. Basically, um, it's, it's doing what we need to do all the time, which is reflecting the diversity of the UK. But with this campaign, it's seen through the eyes of children themselves. Um, and we realize that children see difference differently. Um, and actually, there's some more. Do you have the, the ones that were up just a moment ago, the Everyone's Welcome? Basically, uh, what we did was film two uh, groups of children. Here you go. And they are best friends, pairs of friends, and asked them what was different about each other. Um, and it was great to hear the differences as expressed by them. Uh, yeah, so children, um, <laughs> children said, uh, I like sushi and she likes chips. They said, uh, this one's bigger than me, this one's smaller. They said, um, this one talks too much and this one's quiet. The little boy there told everyone that he had squirrels in his roof and his <laughs> friend didn't, and the squirrels eat through the TV cables. And all the way through, you realize that these kids are not seeing obvious differences in each other in terms of ethnicity or perceived ability. They, they think difference is a very different thing. So seeing it through the eyes of the kids really, really puts it into context. And to, to go behind this campaign, um, there's been a big push out globally. I've been told that in the three weeks since it launched, um, 35 million people have, have viewed the, the trail for it. Um, and it has a global reach now of about 103 million, I think. So it's, it's getting out across the world, which is great. There's a lot of new content coming through on the channel. Um, this year, um, coming in behind the, the overarching campaign. Um, so we've had a, a community drama series called Apple Tree House from the makers of Rust Mouse, um, set in the Midlands. There's a, um, an animated series called Pablo, which deals with autism, as seen through the eyes of a young boy who is autistic and how he finds ways of dealing with his issues. Um, and then we have a new show called Where in the World, which is showing kids in the UK how children live all around the world and how although they live in very different places, basically there are a lot of similarities. And then of course there's Treasure Champs, uh, <laughs> brought to life by the gentleman on my right. Um, John Hancock and David Hallam from Three Arrows are in the process now of um, making it. So I'm not gonna talk about that because he is. But the last part of your question, which is why it's important. Um, yes. And, and what in particular is resonating yeah, with I mean, preschoolers? I think, I think with the campaign, using the children has been a really, really important difference. Um, and I think it emphasizes the fact that children um, innately, they see things differently, they see each other differently, 
Um, they love each other for very different reasons. And I think um, you don't have to sell diversity to children. I think they're just there anyway. But I think because CBeebies has a dual audience, it has its children audience and the parents and the carers. Sometimes it's the parents and the carers who actually need to have that feeling reinforced, especially in these troubled times, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, where there is a lot of conflict and certain political issues have brought conflict even into homes where people think differently. And just putting the children front and centre of the campaign brings it back to the heart of what the diversity message really is. Right. Oh, great. And so, David, your show, Treasure Champs, is pretty interesting in that it draws on parables and stories from different faiths and then presents them encased in like this magazine-style format of a show. Um, can you tell us a bit about how the show came together and what its goal is and how you think you've executed on that? I'll, I'll give it a go. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Treasure Champs is a show that explores values for four- to six-year-olds. So we're doing abstract concepts for four- to six-year-olds, which is an interesting starting point for any project. Um, we immediately thought value sounds a little bit dry and grown up, so we thought, let's call values treasures because they have intrinsic value um, and they are things that you have within you that you can discover. Um, so that's why we use the word treasures. Um, every show in the series is based around a different treasure, so um, we cover some of the more obvious areas perhaps, like generosity and courage. Um, but we cover some more challenging areas like sacrifice and um, democracy. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so we're doing 30 episodes of 15 minutes. The way they kind of break down is that we have two animated hosts who link the whole show together. They're called Barry and Carrie. Um, they're a double act. They're very comedic. We, we were sort of inspired by Morecambe and Wise and uh, Anton Deck for a more modern kind of a reference point. Um, for preschoolers. So they're best friends. Um, they're the kind of characters that we hope the audience are going to want to hang out with and be part of the, the gang. Um, and they link together the show, but they have a kind of mini story arc across each show, which is playing out the value of that particular episode. Um, so, what they, so that's the animated part of the show. It's actually a mixed media show. Um, what they link into... Um, we have a Vox Pops section where we actually go into schools, talk to kids, and basically put a camera in front of them and say, what do you think generosity is, or what do you think courage is? And we just let them talk. Um, and that's quite enlightening, and you'll get a sneaky peek of that um, in, a, in a short while. Um, we also, within the show, um, feature um, a retelling of a story. Um, the majority of these stories are drawn from faith traditions. Um, which we're incredibly excited about. Um, we're, we're drawing from six of the, the main faiths in the UK. Um, and alongside the faith stories, we also have some folk, folk tales. Um, so we're reflecting the fact that um, there's a large segment of the population that are, are kind of from secular backgrounds as well. So we're drawing from those story traditions as well. So we have a short retelling of a story in the middle um, and then at the end, um, we have two short VTs of actuality of kids living out that particular value in their lives. Um, so it could be anything in the encouragement episode. We've got a, a young girl who's creating a flag because her dad's doing a sponsored run. So she's, she's going to be there cheering him on over the, over the line. So it's all very, very relatable, very 
kid-centric kid way of looking at the value. Right. So, so how did you determine um, what stories and faiths to include, and, and how do you present them? It's, it's almost in a non-denominational non way. It's yeah, not I mean, the, like... our, our kind of starting point with it is uh, these are great stories. You know, um, we, we're not going to use a story that, that doesn't stack up for the audience. So there, there were certain things that we considered that we felt we couldn't handle right. the, the and, particular. And just, just for everybody in the audience, sort of what are the six, and just in, in case people aren't quite so, aware so that... So the, the faiths. Yes. Um, so, um, and basically, um, we went for the, the six most followed faiths in the UK, which happened to be Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Sikhism, Judaism, and Buddhism. Um, so those, those are the story traditions that we're drawing from right. in the series. Right, and in the telling of those stories, I mean, it's not labeled like this is a Christian story. Absolutely not. We don't lead with that. We, we, you know, we have storytellers who are telling the story to camera, um, but they're also acting, acting it out as they go, so they play different roles in, in the story. Um, it's very kind of freewheeling. It's, it's sort of let's do it right here, right now. So if I was, if I was telling a story, I, I could use this as a prop or you know, have, a, have a wig to pull on. So it's, it's very kind of, um, uh, it feels kind of quite ad, ad hoc as it, as it happens. Um, they're, they're retelling, so they're, they're done in a, um, a contemporary setting. Again, something that relates um, to the particular story. So we have a story about a, a seed, which we did in a garden centre, and you know, so so it's again relatable um, places that kids go. Oh, you know, I, I know that place. I know that place. Um, so so that's kind of how we we, we try and um, yeah make it accessible, relevant, um, and at the end of each story, we do refer to where it it comes from. So we might say, some of you might know that story. It's you, it's in the Torah. Or what's really exciting for me is, and not a lot of adults even know this, but certainly not children, that some of the stories we're doing are actually drawn from the Torah, the Quran, and, and the Bible. You know, because oh, yeah. they're, they're Abrahamic stories. So um, I think as a statement in these times that we live in, I think that's really quite a powerful thing to say. And um, so we have the examples of two clips from the shows, not one of the stories because they're quite... A they're 10 or 11 minutes long, right? The, the but the, no, the story part actually is, is, is only kind of three and a half minutes. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's still a little bit longer than yeah. everybody has attention for right now. Um, so we've got uh, two clips to give you a yeah. flavor of the show. Uh, do you want to set them so, up? So the, um, the, because we're, making, we're actually making the show as we speak, um, and it's being made slightly out of order, so the first clip is the opening scene of the hospitality show where, where you see Barry and Carrie and you get a sense of the, the comedy interplay between the two of them. And just to say that the reason we went with animated hosts is that that allows us to show what the um, value isn't at times. Um, and that's quite, quite important because, you know, it, it, it would be kind of dull to just go do, do this, do this, do this. Um, and we can see them getting it wrong and you'll see Barry getting it quite wrong in this clip. Um, and the other clip is, is a little bit of the Vox Pops from the um, hospitality show. Um, no, sorry, the honesty show. Um, and uh, we hear what some kids think honesty is, which I think you'll find enlightening. Hello. I'm so excited to welcome you because today's treasure is hospitality. 
Hospitality is a long word, but it means making others feel welcome. So welcome! Barry has invited me round to his house for a play date. But I can't go in yet. He doesn't want me to interrupt his favourite video game. I'm finished. <laughs> you can come in now, Kerry. Kerry? What are you doing behind there? Come in. Uh, Harry. Oops, sorry. That wasn't very hospitable of me. Please, after you. Let's hear what you know about hospitality. <laughs> sorry. Hospitality. <laughs> Honesty is when you, like, when you tell the truth. Honesty means um, not telling lies. Honesty is when you have to tell the whole story. <laughs> it's good to be honest because you always can learn from your mistakes. Sometimes it it's hard to tell the truth because it makes you feel worried and scared. Honesty is a better thing, but it's so hard to do. <laughs> when you don't tell the truth, you, it's like a bad secret. Honesty is about um, telling the truth and telling the parents the whole story. And uh, and and like my tie fell off um, today, and I need to tell my parents the whole story. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> it is important to tell the truth because if you tell a lie, then it could lead to another lie and another lie and to <laughs> another lie, and that could just make more trouble. <laughs> so I'm gonna, you know, throw this open to the panel. Um, what did you guys think about that clip? Does it surprise you about the kids, and how would you, you know, harness that further? Anyone? Oh, Bethy? I think they, I mean, it's really relatable. I love, I mean, I think that any kid watching that would feel very much in tune. It's they're not using big words or saying things that are complicated, and I really like then how diverse it was as well. But I think, I obviously know that's part of the whole point, but I just think, I think it's adorable. <laughs> and they, and they, they do surprise, there were some insightful comments in there. I, I, it, it's always good to be reminded how much is going on in their heads. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and um, like you said, having the ability to show by animation, probably not how to do things. No, no. Um, and then when kids talk, other kids really listen. And they're so, you know, so direct. And yeah. they've gotten that message there. And I think children love to watch other children and, um, and agree with them yeah, and yeah. learn from them. So it's a great combination. Yeah, yeah. I should have mentioned, actually, in the stories that we retell, there are children in those as well. And they, they play, play roles within, within the story. So we're, we're very keen to get, get kids on screen and, and celebrate them and empower them. And, and, and the, the reason behind the word champs is that we wanted it to be something that kids could aspire to be. And I suppose it, our absolute dream for this show would be that, you know, in a, a, a year's time, parents start to use the, word, the phrase treasure champs as a vernacular for, hey, good on you, you're a, you're a treasure champ, well done for sharing your toys, or well done for helping daddy out. You know, so, so that's, that's my aspiration for the show. 
Um, actually, that sort of leads into my next question. It's, um, how do you, you've mentioned that parents are kind of going to be the key to making this show a success. So what other uh, kinds of tools are you uh, giving parents to teach their kids or embedding them in the show and how did you construct it? Well, I mean, I think it's fairly self-evident that the shows that work the best, you know, the Peppa Pigs and the Hey Duggies, you know, they're the shows that parents actually like to watch with their kids. So we've been quite mindful that at times we, you know, particularly in the Carrie and Barry scenes, you know, there are things in there that we think, you know, parents will, will have a little chuckle to themselves about. Um, and if you can bring parents with you, that's obviously going to help in terms of um, taking the show um, wider. We, we, because of the um, magazine element of the series, um, it's very cut-downable. Um, so we, we've got plans to cut the show down into its component parts. And we, we would like to create a kind of YouTube channel around, around the series where, where we create these sub-channels of the Vox Pops, the stories, and just make it as, as user-friendly as possible. We, we think it's got great um, potential in the education sector. My wife's a, a um, early years teacher, and when I told her I was doing this show, she was like, oh, thank goodness, because they have to teach values in schools. You know, British values has become a big thing in this country, and um, yeah, um, I, I think it's got a lot of potential uh, okay. beyond TV. Okay, thanks, David. Mm. Um, sort of aging things up a bit. Um, Betsy mentioned that the greatest dearth of this content exists in the tween teen space, and John and Lucy have been uh, working on doing their part and filling the gap a bit. Um, the CBBC series, The Next Step, which is produced by Radical Sheep and Boat Rocker Studios in Canada, has been very successful in the UK and spawned a digital offshoot, The Next Step Game. Um, but while it mirrors, mirrors the series plot of teen life in a dance studio, the role-playing game goes a bit further. Um, it confronts players with soft moral dilemmas that force them to make decisions that are not simply right or wrong. And, make them, and it makes them navigate social interactions in a way that encourages empathy and emotional intelligence. So um, John and Lucy, can you explain how the game does this and, and what were your initial goals and how successful has it been? Uh, Lucy? So um, what we wanted to make was a role-playing adventure where you get to experience what it's like to join the Next Step Studio audition, to join a troupe, and to make friends with the dancers and work together as a team to win some big dance competitions. So it's a personalized experience because you create your avatar and you customize your wardrobe and along the way you're talking to the other dancers and interacting with them and making choices about how you behave. We'll present you with um, sort of simple multiple choice questions about what you want to do to help another dancer or how you want to react in a difficult situation or um, how you want to resolve a sort of tricky moral dilemma um, in the hope that you're positively experiencing these behaviours in an environment that's both sort of fun and true to the show. And safe as well. And it? safe, very yeah, safe. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's been really successful. Like you talk about downloads, not that we're all totally numbers here, but... Um. It's had very high reach and retention for one of our CBBC games. Um, and 
it, anecdotally, it seems that people are playing it over and over again, so it's not just a one-time experience. Right. And um, how different is it in reaching this sort of eight-plus demo than like a younger audience? Um, what do you think is really clicking with them? So there, we chose eight to nine as the audience for it specifically because they're sort of old enough to engage a little bit deeper with a game. It's not all about instant gratification. Um, and it's kind of before we lose them to social media and consoles. Um, but it's having it to be really authentic to the show so they really feel like they're interacting with these people that they love and, um, you know, having an effect in that world. Mm -hmm. John, your experience as a, a digital designer, because you've worked on grown-up games, you work on kids' games. Yeah, I think... Uh uh, it's about uh, it's about the script, and uh, I mean, just like TV. Uh, I mean, this because it's a role-playing game. Uh, all the dialogue that is in the game has to have been really, really given a lot of consideration and a lot of thought, so that actually, when the kids are playing through these games, they do feel they're not didactic. They do feel very, very authentic, and the and the choices they're being asked to make are uh, feel real. I mean, in the game, I mean, it, it, for you guys, it might sound kind of crazy but for a seven or eight year old they meet Michelle from the next step and she asks them to go and get her a soya latte from <laughs> in the game and you have to go off to uh, Java Junction and get it and you get there and lo and behold they don't have them they only have a smoothie and a cow's milk latte and, you, and it's they're like ah that's <laughs> not what I was expecting and, and so there's this kind of really soft dilemma right. that they have to kind of resolve and you can see them sort of wrestling with, it's a kind of small problem, but you well, can but, see but, them. But they're forced to think about her, the main character, yeah, Michelle, yeah, and absolutely. her person, her as a person, and, yeah. you know. Thinking about themselves, yeah. and obviously, you know, they think What it means to be considerate. And, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, so it, yeah, so I think the, the, the sort of simple answer is it's really down to fantastic writing, I think, really, okay. you know. And getting it down. Yeah. Um, so, both of you have just conducted field research to prepare for the next iteration of the game. Um, I think you have a clip from the focus group have, if you yeah, want to set yeah, that up and we'll yeah. watch that. And uh, apologize just to anybody who went out last night. Uh, it's just going to kind of kind of relive your clubbing days for a very <laughs> short moment. It's quite, it's, it's quite techno. Uh, <laughs> it's the next step. workshop to test emotional intelligence in children. We wanted to see how the children would react to different areas in the game. Research suggests that IQ can contribute as little as 20% of our actual personality and our self-concept, whereas emotional intelligence could be that extra 80%. I like the next step because it's got Really good. <laughs> they basically they move into different places and they do good dancing. We used a control group to gauge whether our findings were actually reliable when the children played the game. 
So what we need to do as adults, we need to encourage children to play pro-social digital gaming. It's really important we use digital role-playing games to help children understand right and wrong, how to empathise with people, and how to understand the world around them in a positive way. Why did you make you not like you? <laughs> Why did you want it to be different? I don't really like people that talk that much in videos because it's really annoying. <laughs> um, and, and you've also got some early findings on yeah. the research, so sure, you want yeah. to walk us through yeah, uh, what you found out? Yeah, yeah, I apologise for the levels of that video a little bit, it was, uh, uh, well, I don't know what it sounded like out there. So uh, why, why do we do it in the first place? Uh, so as, as Lucy was saying earlier, I think, I think we had uh, about an 85% completion rate of the game online, which is kind of nuts. So it, the kids, if they kind of, if they dropped out at one scene one, a lot of kids drop out of games very early on because they kind of get it and they go, it's not the game I want to play, so they leave. But for the kids that stayed in, like almost 85% played through, which is kind of, kind of crazy. Uh, and the, the comments that we were getting on, on, C, on CBBC, uh, so, uh, so Diamond Diva, uh, love, this, uh, love this game, plus the next step, the GAM, helped me understand more about the characters. And uh, sparkly blue puppy. Uh, <laughs> I've finished so many times I can't even count. I love the drama. It feels like you're in the real thing. I create myself, but also I'm the biggest fan. Like if you agree. Uh, <laughs> rainbow jumping hamster. Uh, this game is so cool. It's just like being in the next step. There's loads of action and drama. My top tip is be careful. Uh, and finally, this is the one that we really, really love, which is Hermione Dancing Machine 5. Uh, this game was great. It really felt like you were in the show. Sometimes my hands went all clammy. Sometimes <laughs> I would kiss the computer. When everybody thought I was betraying them, I actually cried. Great game. The next step, TNS forever. So they're really, really, really engaged in the show, but uh, they're really engaged in the game and, uh, and the drama and the dilemmas really started to come through, which is, was absolutely the hope that we had when we, we set about making the game. So. We, uh, so we went and tried to prove a little bit more, a bit of science. Uh, so a basic methodology was we got some year four kids and we gave them quizzes, pre and post intervention. We did a quiz in emotional awareness, one in emotional recognition, and one in problem solving. And we did these tests. Uh, so we had, uh, we had two, three groups. We had a group that was basically was, were introduced to the dilemmas in the game, but a bit like the ones I mentioned earlier the soya latte dilemma, uh, but also there was another one which was, uh, was James and Piper. James and Piper in the show are brother and sister and uh, James doesn't really want Piper at the next step and he confides in you as a player uh, and you either agree or disagree to go and talk to her and, and it's, quite a, it's quite a big, big sort of dramatic moment in the game so the kids are exposed to that. The other children were just basically given 20 minutes of just open gameplay on the game, but there was, they weren't exposed to dilemmas in any particular way. And the control group, they just got to sit and watch the next step for 20, 25 minutes. So that's kind of how we, we, we did it. And, and the findings are really, really surprising. So kind of mean average. Uh, so uh, the emotional awareness uh, improved 
in every group, but for Group 1 and Group 2 who played the game, it improved by 7, 7.3, 7.9%, as opposed to the, the kids that just watch the TV, it only improved by about 3.5%. For emotional recognition, which was the, this, the, the really crazy one, we got an improvement of 7% for the kids that watch the TV, but for the kids who played the game, created an avatar, being exposed to a dilemma, that, that jumped up to 56% and 48% respectively. So just the, the, being engaged in that game, I think just tuned them in to, you know, recognizing a little bit more around sort of emotional intelligence and empathy. And finally, sort of problem solving. Again, group one's emotional problem solving jumped up by 111%, uh, kind of crackers really. Uh, group two, 25%, and the, and the kids who watch the TV, there was, there was, there was no, no improvement. I don't know what that says about television. I'm not trying to say that you should chuck all your budgets at us because you know we'll, we'll knock you out some awesome digital games and you know TV's dead. I'm not saying that, uh, but it's just quite interesting. It's quite an interesting sort of finding. I mean, it's not. It, there's 31 children. I think it would, we'd need to dig deeper into it. So some of the conclusions for us. I mean, avatar creators. I mean, they they're great fun, but actually in terms of sort of encouraging kids to express themselves and use their imagination. Just the, the simple act of creating either themselves or another self uh, tunes them in. It's really important, I think, in terms of the way kids express themselves. Obviously, there's significant improvement in emotional intelligence for children who played the game in comparison to the TV. I think it highlights really the positive impact that interactive pro-social role-playing games can have. I think kids are exposed quite a lot to beat-em-up games. And I think there's a real, there's a big space for Chatham up games, as I, I like to call them. Uh, I think there's, there's, you know, dating don't, sites. Not dating <laughs> sites, but you know, we can we can talk about dating sites for children if, uh, later because I've I've got a bit of a beer in my. Pocket. That's a whole other panel. That's up, yeah. Uh, obviously, interacting with other characters, you know, in the game, I think you know, especially even very very small dilemmas does really improve their cognitive process and their their thinking, and uh, you know. I think it just demonstrates, you know, positive role-play games increase, you know, their emotional awareness and their, their, their life skills. So I think, yeah, it's just quite fascinating to, to, to get that back out of the, the workshop. Uh, I think, yeah. Okay, great. So, I mean, for the, the other panelists, I mean, what, what's your reaction to, to the findings? I mean, I mean, obviously, there's been a big focus on linear content, but you know, are you looking at digital? Like, how important is it? Um, it looks like David would like to answer. Yeah, uh, we are actually. And then that's um, <laughs> um, we've, we've had a, a suite of six games commissioned as well by um, CBBS, which is really exciting. And the, each one of these games will cover um, six dif different treasures within the show. So I'm massively encouraged by the work that you guys have done because it, it just gives kids that extra level of engagement and, and play, playing through and, and exploring even deeper what, what each of the treasures means. Mm. So, so, and um, yeah, we're, we're really excited. Betsy? Yeah, um, we, you know, I, we haven't done our own research about this stuff, but we did, in Common Sense, we developed um, games for very young kids and more for tweens, a digital compass um, a couple years ago uh, to use in schools. And what we found, we did not, it wasn't surrounded by, or, uh, wasn't part of a big brand that kids already love, but they still found it very engaging. And, I, and we found that this ability to walk through scenarios, we did a lot of, um, it was more like cyber, digital interaction, cyber, you know, very specific, 
being a digital citizen like, situations. Like cyberbullying. Right, kind of yeah. And, um, and it would, they, again, yeah, having that, making choices, going through, they would go back and play it again. It's very engaging to have different options. We always know that choose your own adventure is a very popular thing. And I think that putting in the effort that you did, like you said, on the script is so key because really making it sound like real kids talking to each other and having characters who are relatable and um, diverse and all that, all of that really helps a lot. I think it's really engaging in a deeply, in a, in a deep way. Um, so John and Lisa, oh, did Allison, or did you have something to add? Um, yeah. Just really that, um, there's, there's so much talk at the moment about resilience and children building resilience. And um, it's not something you can teach them. They have to kind of find ways of learning it for themselves. And that critical thinking and that ability to be, be able to play with the problem, as we saw with these. Mm. Um, and to really feel an emotional engagement as well mm -hmm. is how kids can really learn. I think that shows from the stats on there that if you, right. if you give them that to play with, it makes them think about those things in a very different way than if you're actually just delivering it in a right. didactic way. So, so are you seeing it more as a almost a necessity? Like you have maybe the linear component, and then I mean, that has been the trend overall. You know, linear shows some sort of digital component, but maybe it's even more important with this kind of content. I think. I mean, I I do think, as I said, that that giving children the ability to look at a problem and roll it around and, and really, really think it through for themselves is something that they will be able to do much more if they're able to play with something at their own pace and go mm -hmm. backwards and forwards. And I think um, that, that you, you heard at the very beginning of this conference about the injection of funding into the BBC now, which is great over the next three years to help build us towards that digital future. Mm -hmm. Because regardless of whether they're um, you know, younger or older children, um, it's at a very young age that those children are able to take something and investigate it. They may, the youngest ones may watch a linear program first to get a story, but then they want to go and look further into it. And as you get older, you want to engage with the brand in a very, very proactive way. And that's, I think that's how kids are gonna learn. Yeah, for sure. So I was gonna ask John and Lucy, how are you, John, you wanna say something, but how are you gonna implement the findings? Uh, well, I, I know that we're, we're we're already working on, uh, well, we're about to start work on two new episodes, and then I think there's, we're hoping to get a, uh, obviously Next Step is a, is, a, is a much beloved brand, and some of the things that we would perhaps like to do with the script, uh, and sort of push, make it slightly more challenging, but you've got that, obviously you've got that brand framework, and the way that Next Step show is. Uh, so we're gonna try and bring in some, some elements of bu bullying, so there's a special one-off episode of the show that deals with anti-bullying techniques. So we want to make an individual instance of the game right. that also does that, that will help you kind of identify uh, situations where bullying is occurring and work to safely resolve that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th I think it's important just to, to say that uh, sort of eight to nine, being a parent of an 11-year-old girl and a seven-year-old girl, I think games like this and role-playing games are, are, are not a duty for broadcasters, but I think uh, you, you will lose kids to social media very much younger and younger and younger, whether we like that or not. And I think games like The Next Step and, and other games of its ilk give children an opportunity to play in a sandbox to a degree where uh, it's safer. So, social media is not 
a place to experiment. It's it's a kind of one-shot gig. You get it wrong on Instagram if, if you're nine or ten or eleven, and they're on there. Mm-hmm. You get it wrong, and it, and it's not good. Yeah, you it's know. following you around forever. Uh, yeah, uh, so I think that you know, so being able to kind of push boundaries and and test yourself with these dilemmas in an area that's safe that is safe and you kind of you get it i think it's important because yeah it's not a yeah it's not like the old days i mean it really is you know yeah i agree and tell you can always you know indulge your inner sort of evil person and say well what happens if i don't get her anything and i say they didn't have a drink for you yeah they did do they did do (laughs) that you know and then you can sort of find out anyway why it's nicer to be nice yeah, that's true. I, you know, we're all assuming that the kids all make the right choices, but that's yeah. not <laughs> necessarily the case. This is where they get to right. experiment with all of that stuff yeah. in a way that won't follow them around, I don't think. And it, there's no real lasting consequence, I suppose, yeah, yeah, other than you don't get, what you know, they've learned. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're moving on from something that's fairly local within the UK to a broader... Uh, global initiative um, that Allison, uh, along with Lucy Murphy from Sky, kind of cooked up at last year's CMC. Um, they hatched the idea of something called, it was called Project Hope. I believe there is a new name not being revealed today, but there will be one. Um, and it focuses on taking this kind of content and making it for all ages and, and having it travel across the globe. Um, so, Allison, can you give us an update on the effort and um, if there's been anything put into production and uh, how, what the scope of it is, like how much content you're looking okay. to, so, to do? Um, uh, Lucy is here in the front. Lucy She's right Murphy, there. Yeah, <laughs> who is a head of kids' content at Sky. And it was almost exactly a year to go to the day um, that we were at a dinner, it was just after the, the big referendum vote in the UK, um, almost immediately there were evidences of hate crime turning up on your social media. Um, also the refugee crisis had come very, very much to the front of children's eyes with these terrible graphic images of babies on the beach and so on. And then with the American election coming along as well, we realized that Um, there was an awful lot of news out there which was causing adults' anxiety. What about the kids? Um, And we said it would be great if we could offer a voice of support. And it would be great if as many many of our partners and friends around the world could help collaborate with that. Um, And at that dinner, there were um, a number of international broadcasters and producers, and we went round and they all said, yeah, we're in, we'll be in. So Project Hope was born. Um, it's, it's, it started off as a wonderful vision of creating a suite of 12 short films um, that would be made by partners from around the world. Some of them would be for younger kids, some of them would be for older, some would be animated, some would be live action. And they would be made over a period of time and released on the same day across the world onto um, as many platforms as people could get them. Um, Non-political, important to say, there's no political message in there because the whole thing is there to promote values of um, empathy, tolerance, inclusion, all those things we've been talking about. Um, so that, that was and is still the vision. And a year later, we are moving on. Um, Lucy and I um, 
have expanded our twosome into now a steering committee who keep us on the straight and narrow. <laughs> and we're working with a creative agency who are, um, uh, who are in the process of producing a wonderful presentation which will give voice to it. Um, lunch packs and seating, that can't be right. Uh, can you find the Project Hope um, pictures? Technical difficulties. No, um, don't worry. If they're not there, I can I can speak anyway. We'll find them. Ah, oh, that's there one. We are. Yeah, back one. I think there's one pre. That's the one. So this was the screen that was going to have the new name. <laughs> um, <laughs> Project Hope exists as, as three different charities, so we can't use it. And we've been through every version of a title with the word hope in it and they're all booked and used by somebody so we we're saying we are now beyond hope and yet we're not <laughs> um, so imagine the lovely title there it's coming we're working on it now and getting it cleared because it has to have a global clearance and anyone who makes programs knows how difficult that is um, so sunshine as i say the creative agency have absolutely got this whole thing now and encapsulating it and what they've done is helped us kind of um, bring it forward in a way that um, it's not going to be a set of films that preach to kids and adults. It's a set of films which are actually going to energize the innate qualities in children to be empathetic and want to do something about it. So there's a lot of words there, but basically what that says is um, there, there, there seems to be an awful lot of bad news around and there are terrible things going on but there are also very good things going on and evidence of kindness and compassion. And that's what our world is. That's what being human is. You have to find your way through. Um, and, and really, amidst all of that, the hope of the Project Hope is us. It's the fact that every single person could do one small thing, and if they all do one small thing, it will become a big thing. And that's the message for the kids, that, that they are um, full of innate kindness. You see it every time that, that children... Um, they don't have these issues innately. They will look after each other. Um, and they have the power to bring that hope forward. So we're saying to them, the films that we're going to produce will help them to power up their skills, their innate skills. Um, and further from this, Sunshine will develop the deck which will give us a number of broad themes which we will offer out to partners. And we're not going to tell them what to make but you've got these, um, these evidences of uh, inspiring themes that will give people a lot of thought about how to do these. Um, we, do, we can announce our first two... Labels. I was going to say additional we are partners. To do that. So um, Sky and the BBC gave Lucy and myself funding to kick this off last year, so that was great. We were able to begin the process. And now I can announce that um, the first two partners who have made offers to contribute are Disney and DreamWorks. Um, and they are now underway investigating these themes, getting on to, to the work. There are two more um, global networks who have also agreed to join in, both in terms of funding and making content. We're not going to tell you who they are yet. Uh, so uh, Disney and DreamWorks will also be making content for the initiative? They will. Just to, okay. um, and so when uh, we, we will very soon, when we've got our title there to publish and we will be able to give evidence of the other first major partners, um, which is fantastic to have those. But the next step on, and as I say, um, the presentation created by Sunshine will go out in the form of briefs to producers, to uh, other broadcasters around the world, to individuals who've already expressed interest. 
So there are animation studios, there are writers, there are composers who've come through and gone, we would love to help make something. Um, and so the next phase on, once we've got the first, the first four going, um, is to invite um, expressions of interest from people from as far around the world as we can get. Um, it's, it's easier to engage our North American and European partners because they're usually around at events like this. We're actually reaching out, obviously, to Latin America, to the Far East, to the Middle East particularly. So mm -hmm. hopefully, it may be 12 pieces of content. It may be slightly more, because some of the live action ones... I was going to ask you if it was, it was going to possibly yeah. expand beyond that. Important that it isn't just us telling kids something. We're right. hearing from them as well. So right. it's a two-way thing. So that's broadly the scope. Right. And then all the partners have agreed to share this across all yeah. of their platforms. There yeah. are no licensing holds. No. There is no, no. I mean, there's ownership. Really, there's no... That's right. The, the, the early idea was pure and wonderful that we just share. <laughs> We'd all press go at the same time. And these, this content would explode across the world on the same day, which it hopefully still will. Um, there, there's legal things to navigate, but, <laughs> but basically the goodwill is there. Um, and everybody understands what, what this is. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're hoping is that um, we are talking with UNICEF, who, although they're not partners, um, know of us and want to give a window to what we're doing. So International Children's Day is in November. We hope to be able to make a statement there. And then at the beginning of December, there is the, the um, three-yearly um, Children's Global Media Summit, which happens in a different country every year. This year it's happening in Manchester, in the UK, and we will screen our first films there. That will form the next call to action for how we take it on. And then hopefully by the end of the spring, we'll have the suite of content and then the distribution can happen. There's reversioning to think about and all of that. So there's a lot to be done, but it's moving on. And your day job as well. The day jobs are, yeah. <laughs> Not inconsiderable, and um, I guess I said, and Lucy said the same, that we could dump those day jobs and just do this for the, ne the rest of the year, but, but gradually as more partners come on, it's shared, it gets easier, so it gets it's working. Easier. And so in terms of partnership, it's, um, you know, they're providing content, but there's also financial... Finance uh, is important. Yeah, and is that really how you're financing we're saying, this? I mean, uh, just yeah, we're saying to people, we need, we need money, um, <laughs> we need money to... Um, the major reason we'll need money is that the, the, the global partners are, are offering to make films and give them. But if you find a really good story that needs telling somewhere in the world with people who can't finance a film, we hope that we'll be able to help them with that. And obviously, as I say, reversioning costs, there'll be things at the end of that time, um, although we're getting offers of help there too. So I'm always saying, if anyone says, what can I do? I say money. Um, Lucy will say the same, but also please tell us the stories that you've got. Um, and when when the release goes out, there'll be detail of how, how to get involved in all of that there. Great. Um, so for the rest of the panel, um, are you seeing any kind of commercial appetite for this type of content? I know this is a completely non-commercial enterprise that Allison's involved with, but I mean, is there an opportunity opening up in the commercial world to, to to get this type of content well, I think on I hope, air and in yeah. front of kids. Well, I think hope generally, what? I mean, Pardon? I think hope just generally, I mean, there's a project down in uh, Brighton. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a volunteering network, but it's just, it's, I think people, I think there's a kind of, almost like a kind of a, a backlash to what we're experiencing with, you know, all the things that Alison's mentioned. I think people are, we're rallying around and we're kind of going, you know, you know what can we do? to help one another. I think this, this the, the thing in Brighton's just called, you know, 
uh, a help please, I think it's called, and you just sign up and you just give out your help to people. You mm -hmm. know? So I think there's, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's wonderful that actually, as an antidote to all the guff that's going on, uh, we're all kind of going. Actually, no, no thanks. We're all going to try and be even nicer and, and, and more hopeful than we were or we have been. So, so what do you um, all see as the biggest challenge for for really getting momentum behind this? I mean, I know it's starting, but um, for taking it to the next level, this project. Well, this project and, and, and just, you know, this emphasis on creating, you know, this type of content that it, and helps kids figure out where they are in the world and to become kinder, more empathetic, resilient, all those things. I think Betsy? that it's um, convincing everyone, not just, you know, really involved, maybe perhaps helicopter parents and enlightened educators that this really is important and that kids need these examples and lessons in as many ways and as often as possible. I mean, I've heard anecdotally about people in the US who go to school board meetings and there are people there actively speaking against teaching things like empathy in school because they just don't think the school should be involved in that. And I think that's so backwards, frankly. Um, I think that the more often and loudly we can, we can teach our kids to, to grow up respecting themselves and others and um, being looking, looking, not seeing those differences that we're all too used to seeing. So I think it's just making sure it's that people prioritize it. I mean, you know, it's, it's as important as reading and writing. I'm, I mean, for us as, as program makers, um, we're coming at it very much from a kind of entertainment first perspective that it has to stand up as, as something fun that kids will actually want to watch. If, if, if all you're saying is let's, let's put these good messages in front of children, for, for us, that's not good enough. We, we want them to want to watch the show um, and that it's not just something that parents plonk children in front of and make, make them watch. So, so I, think, I think, you know, we want to go head to head with the, uh, you know, the big, the big entertainment and, and comedy shows. That's why, you know, hopefully you've, you've just got a little glimpse of, of how we treat um, this material in our show, you know, and we've, we've managed to attract some fantastic writers to our team, you know, we've got people who've written on Miranda, we've got the guy that, that did the um, Reduce Shakespeare company um, shows, you know, these are top, top people who believe in what we're trying to do, but doing it in a way that really cuts through and that, that will, um, yeah, that will entertain children and get those, those messages in under the radar as well. And I think um, the one thing also, beyond all those um, the words like, you know, the, the empathy, the kindness, the tolerance and all of that, we've realised that through the years we've been looking at all these, these messages and incidents that for kids, um, it, it's not just the news they're getting, and that news sometimes is not getting to them in the right way, that's another whole story. Um, I but, think there's but, a panel on that actually later today. <laughs> yeah, the, the fake news, and there's yeah. a really good session later on this afternoon about that. But, but kids are anxious about themselves. They're anxious about their friends, um, and it's happening younger. And um, so that whole thing about what they're getting on their phones and they're getting the phones younger, that they're now saying, children in primary school are saying that something like two-thirds of them worry all the time about something, whether it's about their family or their friends or their home. And I think when you get down to the fact that these kids are getting anxious, that's what's going to make more and more people pick up these themes, and you can see them everywhere. 
um, every network, every broadcast, every, everywhere you see evidence mm -hmm. of people using kindness as a positive value. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a soft word anymore, it's something very important. And some, I think you said, you have to learn to be, children have to learn to be kind to themselves before they can be kind to other people. Mm -hmm. um, they have to not give themselves a hard time. They have to understand really that things can be tough and there's ways through that resilience word again. Um, and if you can learn that, then you're able to empathize with other people. And so that's quite a lot of technical terms, but you see what I mean? And the, the need is really, really there for these kids. And I think now it, it's not just a sideline. I think it's becoming a critical part of their learning. Okay. Um, John or Lucy? Just to back up everything that's been said, I mean, I hope there's a lot more of it because it's... It's a horrible world out there for kids. Scary. Yeah, we're trying to make it a little better, or well, not palatable, but understandable, I guess. Um, I think with that, actually, we'll move to uh, any questions from the audience. Did maybe Lucy? Do you have anything to add? Maybe to start, or not to put you on the spot, but I just did. It would be. <laughs> oh. Um, it'd be we good a, to hear from Lucy actually, because she should be up here, but it's a big panel, and <laughs> next time yeah, she'll be here. on. It's not on. The other thing that we're trying to do is, um, in terms of the project, is create an online resource so that there is a real legacy to the films. Um, and those will be available on every platform on, uh, thrown out from every platform so that the teachers, carers, themselves to be able to access not only films but activities and forward um, actions so that this is the beginning of something, not the end of the We're not saying with these 12 films everything will be fine, but that it's the start of something, the start of a movement. Okay, great. Oh, there's a question in the back there. Uh, hello, Sharon Miller. Uh, I wonder what the panel thinks is the reason that there is an absence of kindness in our current young people generation uh, that maybe wasn't so present uh, 15 years ago, and what's happened? Cool. Um. Mm. Um, the only, I can only say that um, a lot of research shows that when times get tough, people tend to turn in, they turn in to themselves or their family or the people who they know, they're not looking outwards. And I think that um, the fact that there, there has been basically bad news globally for a while and the, the amount of reporting of it and the, the negative reporting of it is, is just making everybody feel, oh my God, you know, the end of the world is nigh, we must be safe, we must be careful, we don't really want to you know, give time to people that we're not absolutely involved with. And I think that whole thing about clinging on to people who are like you can make you um, less, well, obviously less empathetic, but the, there's a sort of an insecurity that breeds it. So the antidote, therefore, is to get the opposing message out as far as you can and as, as loudly as you can. I would just add that, flipping it back a little bit, I don't know that it is the kids who are lacking in kindness yeah. right now. I think it's more the adults. <laughs> and I think hopefully a lot of us are realizing that and helping to turn that around. 
yeah. I mean, uh, we live in a we live in a sort of twenty four hour news world. Uh, you know, we're getting we get bad vibes pumped to us. In, in a, you know, in an echo chamber of uh, social media, and I think. You know, if you're if you're as, a, as an adult, you know, and we've got adults that are running the the, the, the largest countries in the world who behave, you know, worse than my sort of some more than others. Yeah. I don't know who I'm talking about, <laughs> but uh, that can only kind of reflect backwards and re- reflect down on, on on the young people we're trying to to, 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 to raise and to, and to bring up. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just I guess trying to find your way through that. And so I, I so I think it's a natural reaction. Uh, for you to kind of close down as a family and kind of sort of pull yourselves in and kind of isolate yourselves and turn yourselves into almost an, an island away from a lot of all of that. And I think it's just learning and figuring out with things like Project Hope giving you, I guess, almost little bridges back into the, into the, into the real world where there is, <laughs> there is there's empathy and there's niceness and there's kindness out there. David, I mean, one, of, one of the um, antidotes that we're trying to... to to add into this into this mix is that you know one thing I think we all see is that that kids from a very young age get obsessed with stuff and acquiring things and I want this and I want that and in using the word treasure in our show we want to kind of flip that on its head and say that actually treasure is something that that come can come from within um, and it's it's a way of being and behaving. Yeah, it's not material. Exactly right. Yeah. So so that's just our little contribution. Great. Um- do we have another question? Oh, also in the back. Uh, hello. I have a question about the next step, uh, which I thought was a very interesting project. Um, but uh, I was curious, actually, about the dilemmas you talk about, like the, what, the example you gave about there's a girl that wants a soy latte, but you have to choose between a smoothie and a cow's milk latte. And I was struck that, like, from a game design kind of perspective, giving players a no-win situation like that might be kind of difficult. Might be they might bounce. They might like not want to play anymore, kind of thing. Um, so, how do you ensure that they have the motivation? Uh, well, well, they did. Uh, uh, they, uh, the, without getting too technical and, and telling everyone, everyone's eyes glazing over. Are there, the gaming engine that we actually constructed had a positive, neutral, and negative bias inside it. So depending on the depending on the, the task, the goal that you were given, uh, and how you responded, both by, through dialogue and through actually achieving it, you got a positive, negative, and neutral score. And those scores, so you could end the game with 12 points and win. I've learned loads of really cool, groovy dances, or you could end the game on eight points and still have. So that's kind of how we did quite a bit of the game balancing. So it wasn't. I think the idea was to kind of give them cul-de-sacs to a degree in some of the dialogue, you know, where there isn't a... Uh, I think there's too many games where you go, go and find an axe to chop a tree down. You go and find an axe, you chop a tree down. Uh, it's like, go and find an axe, and you don't get an axe, you get a, I don't know, a rubber hammer or something. <laughs> but, you know, it's... Yeah, it, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, so did you have, like, like Um... No, it would kind of, you couldn't really fail. I think that was one of the things we wanted to do with it. You would always have a positive outcome from it, and we would always gradually guide you to this, this ending, which, you know, was a happy ending. Um, and I don't, I don't think we wanted it to be too stressful for kids no, to be no. worrying too much or feeling like they failed. 
Thank you. Is there any more questions? Oh, we have one. Um, um, I've got one myself. Um, in terms of discussing difficult topics, um, have you like what are the boundaries in terms of because it's the children? How far can you push them with really difficult topics and obviously still having positivity and outcomes in that, but? Have you found any difficulties when making your program kind of where to draw the line almost? Does anybody want to? Alison looks like she wants to. Um, it, it, it depends on the age group you're working for. Um, and I think for, um, for older kids, it's really important that they have a forum where there is no topic that's too difficult to discuss and they need to do it in a forum where they can share that with their peers. So um, CBBC has a, um, a web site and activities from it called Life Babble, where um, there are presenters, but there are forums for kids to kind of get in and share. And, and in that wider context of digital resilience and kids being able to, because they spend so much time on their, you know, on their digital phones, on their social networks, knowing what's right and what's wrong and if somebody's making you feel bad what you should do about that if you've done something that maybe wasn't the right thing you learn from it so you can be open there for young ones I think um, they, they, I keep saying innate they they want to help they have they have something about them wants to help if they see something that's wrong or a parent that's struggling they will want to help them um, so you're not going to bombard them with, with terrible stories, but the fact is they're getting to them by means of news delivery and so on. So it, it's absolutely finding ways of, of helping them make sense of it. Um, I don't know. Well, I was just going to say, we don't. Um, I'm not a content creator, but we have a series of tips on the Common Sense Media website about exactly that, about talking to kids about upsetting news and difficult topics, and it really does vary a lot by age group. I think one of the important things for the younger kids is to not over-answer. Um, if they ask, you know, why did that building fall down, you mm -hmm. can say, well, it, somebody knocked into it. You don't have to go into, well, somebody was a terrorist and they wanted to attack your country. And, you know, you, you create more anxiety than you, uh, attest, uh, than you deal with by over-answering. So it's, you can answer each question factually. Um, anyway, we have a lot more of that by age group, but that's the one that really jumps out at me, having small children myself. <laughs> and, you, and we were talking the other day about different, different ages get anxious at different things. Yeah. Um, and very young children, um, in the recent terrible Grenfell fire and the tower block, and even as far back as 9-11, there were reports that said because these images kept on being shown, some young children think that these things keep on happening. Absolutely. It's Every time they see thing. the news, it's, so it's just happening more again. More. So turn it off. <laughs> and if a kid sees a fire, they think the next thing's going to happen is their house will be on fire. Um, and if the, the terrorist attacks, you know, uh, Newsround did a great report that's gone out on all platforms which told children that, that bad things do happen, but um, they are rare, and they actually are rare. There's still abundant good news to be found, and um, that message is, is really, really important to get out for the, the younger end. Great. Um, I think we've actually come to time. Uh, so I would love to thank our panel today. I, I think it was pretty enlightening and um, 
just a quick housekeeping note. Uh, lunch, the lunch packs are apparently already ready and available across the street when you want to go get them. And uh, the next session coming up in here is the learning through animation at 12.45 p.m. If you're interested in that, come on back. Otherwise, I'd love to thank uh, our panel today and uh, hope you have a great rest of CNC.